Harrison, you know, sometimes we have disagreements on the podcast, uh-huh. but they but they aren't like it's really just our conversation in pursuit of the truth, which we both love. Correct. And we haven't had like any really fundamental, potentially friendship wrecking differences mm-hmm. uh, in our relationship as friends or on the podcast. Correct. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I would think so. We've had we've had our kerfuffles, but yeah. we've always been able to work through them. Exactly. You know, a tiff here yeah. and there. But that's all part of the human experience exactly. and friendship. And really, what friendship is, what love is, is being able to hold those conflicts in tension mm-hmm. without running away. Correct. And that's, that's that's a part of what friendship is, is to go through those difficult moments um, and, and not to hide from them. That all being said, I'm a little bit worried. Mm-hmm. Because uh, something was revealed in some of our text messages. Mm-hmm. And uh, this will be incredibly boring to some people. Yep. Uh, but I don't care because it needs to be worked out. There's always the old fast forward button. Hi, everyone. Producer Nick here. I just need to let you know before we go any further that Father Harrison and Father Anthony talk about the movie Nobody with Bob Odenkirk for about 15 minutes. And if you're like me and you just can't stand it when they talk about movies, skip ahead to about 15 minutes. If you're not like me and you like when they talk about movies... Really? I mean, okay. Anyway, thank me later. Skip ahead to about 15 minutes and it'll all be over. You can press the fast forward button. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't care. Enjoy the podcast however you would like. But for those who care about our friendship and who care about cinema, this conversation will be interesting to you. So, the other day, I was with my good buddy Carl and his wife Erin, and they had been saying for a while, you have to watch this movie. It's called Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. And I had been curious about this movie, and there's gonna be tons of spoilers. So just spoilers. But it's whatever. been out forever, so like it's been out if, forever. If, if too and, late. You know, I was intrigued because you know Bob Odenkirk in an action movie. I loved him in Breaking Bad. Like mildly intrigued, but just never clicked on it. But my buddy Carl, who has never steered me wrong, is like, you have to watch it. So we all watched it, and it was amazing to me. Mm-hmm. It was in the in the same kind of. Uh, spirit of John Wick, but I thought more grounded and relatable. It was a beautiful look into the male psyche. It was satisfying in every level. Everything in it was paid off. Did it change, you know, cinema forever? No, it just did one thing very well, and I was just ecstatic. You know, we loved it afterwards. After we watched it, we talked about it, and so I know that Father Harrison likes movies. I know he appreciates a good action movie. And I was like, hey, have you seen this? It's obviously the best action movie ever. Mm-hmm. And you were like, and this, this crushed me. And I think your response via text was, was quite literally, actually, it's kind of boring. And mm-hmm. I died inside, Harrison. Good. I good. died inside. Good, because the truth purifies. <laughs> all right first 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 do you know the history of bob odenkirk at all yeah uh he, besides he's breaking bad yeah he's a comedian he did, did a show called mm-hmm. mr show with um oh now i'm forgetting his name the guy who guy who plays tobias in the guy who plays what tobias oh i don't know the actor's name yeah uh I'm, why am i forgetting his name right now anyways people are screaming at the car right now but anyways uh so yeah he had he had a tradition and actually this is the thing about comedic actors in general they have the ability to adapt to drama more than drama actors have the ability yeah. to, dra- to adapt to comedy. Uh, the comedian is always way more uh, diverse uh, in their in their skill sets. Um, so 
I saw the trailer around and, you know, pandemic stuff. And I, I watched it. Yeah. I think it came out like a year ago, something like that. And at the time, things were like really locked down. So I had like my bubble household and they came over for dinner one night to watch it. I was like, I was really keen to see it. I was like, oh, this is going to be kind yeah. of a John Wicky kind of thingy, which I love. I love John Wick for a variety of reasons. Also, these are not movies to watch with very violent your children ever. Very violent. Um, so I was like, okay, let's 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 pay whatever it was, like twenty five bucks, yeah. and rent it and watch it. And I was bored stiff. Um, and and you've had your moment. You've had your moment. That was mine. So, I mean, there are some obvious crossover hints. It's not the same director as John Wick. It is someone different. Um, and there are some very good, um, you know, little hints towards it. The hidden treasures, the the kind of hidden life right. beneath the ordinariness of it all, which is kind of common to these film genres. But I just found my, yeah. like, it's been a year, so... I have to really stretch my, my memory on this one, but I kind of excluded it from my memory. So I was also just in shock when that name came back up on my phone. Um, it was just boring. Like it, it, it just, it was boring. It was boring. Like, I don't know what else you want to say. It was boring. It, 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 it lacked story, it lacked development, it lacked the care. You see John Wick, John Wick is carefully crafted to slowly grow and slowly unveil a larger universe that is actually the mm -hmm. true reality nobody just didn't do that at all some of the action is good like the bus fight scene sure. was a lot of fun to watch absolutely um but it just okay so I let me break care. down why you're wrong about this so john wick okay. i mean they're similar in the fact that they are kind of gritty action movies uh, where you have someone who seems almost like an everyman, but turns out to be a secret superhero. But the thing is, this isn't John Wick. Uh, so no, John, I know that. So, but it's it's helpful Obviously, to like because John Wick's better. John Wick to you know, uh, because John Wick is is more of a superhero movie. Um, what what nobody is is, I do think like a a uh, a peek behind the male psyche in the sense that you have this guy who. And I think the opening scenes delivers very well that he seems like a nobody, someone who is just beaten down by the ordinary everyday life. It seems like his wife and his son don't respect him. Uh, and slowly but surely, it's revealed that there's something deeper to him. Um, so the, oh, one of the, mm -hmm. like one of the big scene uh, where there's two home invaders. He can tell there's a home invader before you really can see anything that's going on. And so they reveal that he had a jump mm -hmm. on one of the invaders and he didn't take the swing with his golf club because he could see in this revolver that there were no bullets in it. And you're like, oh, shoot, this guy, this guy mm -hmm. knows some things. Right. And then what finally breaks him is the fact that these people, they only stole some petty cash. But his daughter, who is the sweetest little girl in this movie. Mm -hmm. Couldn't find her uh, mm -hmm. sparkle kitty bracelet. Right, it's like right, killing exactly. someone's it's, dog. That's what starts it off. It also it also Just ends saying. up giving you one Just of saying. the best lines in all of cinema, <laughs> which you know content warning here. I'm not gonna say any bad words, <laughs> but it's like, give me the sparkle kitty bracelet. No, give me the GD sparkle kitty bracelet mf'er, and he just shouts it. And it's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh okay, no, that, I mean no. I'm not saying there wasn't the thing some about good it is that it, everything yeah. is paid off. 
So his jerk, um, yes, everything's paid off. So his jerk neighbor, he ends up stealing his car and turning a line back against him. His jerk uh, brother-in-law, he just wrecks and owns. Uh, he gets to live out uh, this life that he has been hiding from for a long time. Um, you have that beautiful moment where he's kind of given his ultimatum to the Russian mob boss. Of course, Russians like John Wick. Uh, the one with the claim, he has a claymore, right? He brings it in. And in the speech, he says, there's a part of me that wants to see this to the end. But there's another part of me that wants mm -hmm. to just walk away and go back to my life. And he goes to his car mm -hmm. and he waits and he crosses his fingers. And you're like, what is he crossing his fingers for? Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, a bullet goes through his window and he smiles because the part of him that wanted to see this yeah. to the end lives out. The fact that his grandpa is this old World War II vet and I, I remember watching, like, I, and they're, they're going to go after his grandfather, the bad guys. And I was like, I really hope the grandfather kicks some butt. And he does. <laughs> the guy from, the doctor from Back to the Future just goes around killing people. It's amazing. I don't want to get canceled for being a Catholic podcast. But, like, that part pays off. At the very end, he has, you know, his wife has respect for him again. It just every little bit. It, it's, it's not a masterwork. It's just a really... And I'm stealing this from another review, no. but it's just a really satisfying cheeseburger. It's done well. It gives me exactly what I want. It's a great action movie. Yeah. It's like what I had for lunch. It's like a McDouble. It it, it fills you up, oh, but it doesn't satisfy but, you. Like, but what are you looking? I think you're looking. So I mean, what are you looking for so, when you get yeah, a McDouble? You're looking for some greasy goodness. No, I'm looking for. I need to eat something fast, and I kind of want my McDonald's fries, but I might as well get See, some protein your expectations. While I'm at it. This. Or sorry, yeah, quote yeah, unquote. Yeah. This protein. is the problem that your expectations were wrong. <laughs> so you were not receptive to the beauty that is no. nobody. Uh, and also, uh, Bob Odenkirk gosh, okay. kills so, it wait, in oh. that role. He kills it. Well, he did fine. No, I I enjoyed his acting and everything in the role. But but two things. First, actually, I I, I was mistaken about one thing. It is the I same think producer, maybe the same John writer, Wick, executive producer. Yeah. Uh, I think so. So so the, so this is the thing. But that now is my thing. I'm like, you know, he does it better in John Wick. Like he does what he's trying he's to doing do. Something way different. Better in John so he's doing something different. John Wick is not. John Wick is not relatable. Thing, you cannot relate. Is, no, he's not. Yes, he Absolutely is. Absolutely not. He's a superhero. Oh, yes, he is. He is the Greek. No, no, he is. He is the Greek tragic yeah. hero figure. Not superhero. Greek tragic John hero. John Wick figure. is more of a demigod than Bob Odenkirk is. Bob Odenkirk is way more relatable sort of, in his but, character. You you feel more deeply about. Yes, you do. Like, I love seeing John yeah, Wick do yeah. what he does. It's amazing. And there is that, like, but it's more of, like, a philosophical tension, more of a, a, a there's more, more, like, of a mythic nature to John Wick, and this is just far more down to earth. Was yes, that absolutely. That's why I love it. But that's the thing. Yes. I love the myth element. of That's what. That's actually one of the big right. major reasons I love John Wick. And, and here's the thing, though, but this is the thing, and this is why I think I got frustrated by it. They create all the aesthetic element of myth in yeah. Odenkirk's character without that paying off there is this whole secret network stuff you have no idea where these people are coming from where his real investment is in terms of this behind the scenes stuff that's going on there is no peek behind the veil to show you what he who he really is and what he's really a because part of or has been a part the of in the past 
And also, he explains his backstory. But then, but then, but then you shouldn't tease it. But then well, you should no, 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 tease it. You need to know. You need to know that like all the radio stuff and everything that he needs to fulfill. No. That's all you get, and that's all you need. But also, Harrison, there's a scene where he explains his backstory to four dead people. That's amazing. There's another time when he starts to explain his backstory to a guy who dies, and he just stops. Like it's 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 a different. So this is what the thing is. While there are the similarities between this and John Wick are purely aesthetic. It's just in the kind of how it looks in some ways, but it's doing something very different. They are different movies. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying that, but, but I guess my that's my beef though is they do all the night the right teases into a larger world without actually giving you like the, there's no point because to those the teases. world is about there is no point him being satisfied with who he is as a person, whereas John Wick is like it's the world, it's the fun. It's the reality of things. Right. This is more personal. I'm, listen, I am, f- I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But then you don't need all these extra teases that there's something larger out there. If this is really just who he is, that he was some guy. He's who the auditor. Was some no, no, no. So it, it is revealed. He's the auditor. He's so the he's auditor. basically the yeah. guy who uh, yeah. took care of problems in the CIA, FBI, all these things. He was that dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's very simple. But the thing is, though, but it. No, 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 I know. Is it though? Because the way the film kind of t- puts things out there in regards to who he is and his relationship to all these other organizations is as if there's actually a deeper, higher organization above all those things. And it teases you into this without any payoff or any relatability or any relationality on his part to that organization and what that organization is and how, how that organization makes him into who he is. So I'm not against them. I'm not against how he who he is as a person in the film. I'm saying that they spent a lot of time and energy putting it into something that was it wasn't didn't add value and actually I think is part of what made it boring for me. You're giving me these teases that I don't need then. You're 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 opening up the curtain a little bit to a, a mythos that actually you you're saying mm-hmm. I kind of don't need to know. So then why are you even bothering? Just show me this guy kicking some butt. Because he's an auditor who is just good at fixing that stuff, and that's it. And let him go do his thing. You could have saved twenty or thirty minutes from that film just doing that. I think you're. I, I am Vic Mattis. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. I think Vic, this is why I need. <laughs> I am I not Vic Mattis. Trust me. To do, I need to contact Vic Mattis. I don't think he listens to his podcast. But I am right about this. I just know my bones. I'm right about no, this. You're wrong. That is an you're wrong. Excellent action, you're action wrong. movie. It delivers on every level. That you've got a taste of the of the a deeper, wider world, but also it's playing off of common knowledge of like these movies that you know you understand that there are secrets behind secrets in organizations, and this guy was a part of it, uh, and that's yeah. all you need to know because it, the story is not about the myth of of reality or of how the world works. It's how this right. It's it's about how this nobody works. Right, but then don't set well, up the you need myth to, of the reality. You need to get like how does Bob Odenkirk do. the, 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 even the even the coins even the coins is part of a larger mythos. You get little. I mean, sometimes mystery is good, Harrison. <laughs> I'm not. Listen, I'm not against that mystery, obviously. But the the point of mystery is that it reveals to draw you into a reality. And so if you're just if it's if it's teasing you that way without drawing you in, then it's not mystery. It's it's making a movie boring. <sighs> Well, uh, producer Nick, could you do us a favor and just jump in at the beginning of this conversation and tell people to skip to the 15-minute mark? That would be great. But uh, I think we've had an impasse here. We've said what we have to say. And um, 
That's the end and of the speaking. speaking. Um, no, you know, <laughs> this might seem like an emergency in our friendship, but I think we will, we will power through it. Let's deal with the real emergencies, the theological emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Yes, hi, this is uh, Matt, the former tax man on Twitter. Uh, my question has to do with baptism and whether or not there's any, like, theological or canonical reasons um, that some parishes or, or dioceses uh, don't do baptisms during Lent. Um, our daughter was just born, and, and luckily we were able to scramble and get everything together in time that we were able to baptize her just this last weekend. But if we hadn't been able to do that, uh, we would have been stuck waiting until June because um, they stop after Ash Wednesday, of course, and then they wouldn't uh, resume registrations until April, and then the baptism themselves wouldn't even start again until June. So, yeah, just curious um, to get your take. I don't know, you might have talked about it before on the show, but I would love to know if there's any real reason for it or if it's just kind of a preference thing. Thank you. Well, Matt, former tax man on Twitter, if that is your real name, um, I am going to toss this question right to Father Harrison um, because we did talk about this, I believe, on the podcast. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm not doing this because I'm bitter or petty or anything, but I feel like this is yet another instance where Father Harrison was wrong, not just about Bob Odenkirk, but about uh, yeah. baptisms during Lent. Father Harrison, would you mm-hmm. like to share? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is no reason. You can you can do it anytime. There are a few days where you're discouraged, like, uh, unless it's an emergency, like Good Friday, Holy, uh, Holy Saturday during the day until the vigil. Um, but there is no reason it's a it's a weird thing that's because it, it's coming from there's nothing in the books there's nothing in the books that say this right but again it was like i kind of said that because like that's what i was kind of told yeah in practice but it was not actually when you go look at the books you realize there's actually nothing there to stop it so there is no reason to not do it the idea i think is just this notion that lent is not really it's a step it's a season of preparation for the season of easter and so baptism is something associated with easter blah 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 so that's one thing so and i'm glad i'm glad that you got your child baptized but 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 can i can i just say like the way you were just explaining like everything your the hoops you have to seem to go through to get your child baptized that seems like you listen to our podcast that should be oh, i absolutely agree enough. but i think you just skipped over the thing that i was trying to set up uh, so snarkily which was yeah. Oh, I know exactly what you're trying to you say. You did. That. You skipped over it because for a while you were doing the same practice, weren't you? Hmm. Yes. And we actually yes, got was. Uh, yep. for a few and years. This but... is something that I actually I didn't have to think about or worry about because I've never been in charge of a parish, so um, I never had the chance to make this error. But I think we we got we yeah. learned about this talking to Ed and JD from uh, their former lives. Now they're a part of a Pillar podcast where they just kind of lambasted yes. this idea. Uh, that's what we learned that from them. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so um, yeah. baptism is so important that there it's actually really wrong that you can't have them during Lent. This is like the sacrament that's essential for salvation. Yeah. You should have it. So sorry about that. Glad you got a kid baptized. But so I did this 
call for two reasons. One, to take a shot at Father Harrison because I am a small and petty person. And and I'm a humble man okay, who's willing to admit I'm glad you're wrong. Admit you're wrong. I tr- you see, but like our last podcast, I believed and trusted the people yes. who had taught me on these things. And right. I had no reason to doubt them. Mm-hmm. And so I just did it, right? Also, I don't get a ton of baptism requests up here. So it's not like it's like I'm getting like 20 mm-hmm. baptism requests during Lent. I haven't done a baptism nice. in like four months. <laughs> so not nice, <laughs> no, but you know. Sad. Yeah. Anyways, yes, yeah, sorry. And the second Your reason second is reason? because uh, our friends at the Pillar Podcast, which if you listen to us and don't listen to them, I don't understand you. Um, if you can suffer through our banter uh, for the last 15 minutes, you can totally suffer through theirs. But no, in all seriousness, Ed and JD over at the Pillar do amazing work in Catholic journalism. We're big fans. We're both subscribers. Uh, we're also you know personal friends, all things, uh, just putting everything out on the table. And we're going to have Ed Condon on the podcast for the second time. Way back, way back in our catalog, we had Ed and JD on when we did a huge crossover episode in their uh, former podcasting lives. But uh, we're going to do something special, Father Harrison, because we have this uh, preeminent Catholic uh, lawyer, canonical lawyer. Thank you. Doctor, we're doctor, have doctor of canon Ed law. Ed Condon on for a special new segment that Nick's going to have to make a bumper for called Canonical Emergencies. So. Send in your canon law questions, and we'll just like pepper Ed with these things, and he'll find it delightful. And uh, so, canonical emergencies next week with Ed Condon. I'm very excited for it. That's right. I'm I'm very excited too. Um, and yeah, no, it'll, it'll be really good. But no, you're you're right. I, I did the wrong <laughs> thing for a while, and I'm okay. But again, I'm okay. I, I learned from my mistakes, and now yeah, I can handle the truth of things, right? And this is how we we grow in life. But um, the other thing though is like. Just, uh, why do I'm trying not to speak ill here but like why do parishes do weird things like well you can't register until April for your baptism like you have a canonical right there's nothing around registration now I know there's listen folks there's organizational elements that have to go into baptisms and baptism preps and all this jazz and yada 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 but there is no reason to not take the information right now and there's no reason to get things going and there's no reason why you can't do prep during Lent then. If you really, really want to insist on this no Lent thing, fine. Do your prep during Lent so that when Easter right. hits, you can do a ton of yeah, baptisms. Why you're holding off till June is like just yeah. mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. It's like, I'm just like, this makes no sense. Like the, We just have this weird, we have this amazing ability at putting up rules that make no sense. We do. And, and I'm sure they made sense at one point in time to somebody, but I'm not going to disagree with you on that. Harrison. I've spent the last two segments trying yes. to tear you down, but now I'm going to build you back up, buddy. Yes. I'm going to build you back up in presbyteral oh, thank you. exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Yes. yes. Quite. Yes. Father Harrison, I have here in my anointed yes. hands yes. your book mysterion that looked i am currently almost halfway through I'm about to start chapter four just uh-huh. been kind of uh, reading it here and there uh-huh. even taking it occasionally to my holy hour just a little something to pray with mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. first of all it's 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 real good it is though thank you thank uh you. That, that's good to know. You always like worry. Yeah, it's, like, actually, it actually, it's good? actually real good. Uh, <laughs> and I've been enjoying it. And it's done a good. few things for me. One, it's helped me okay. to 
appreciate and love the church more. Um, and it's also okay. gotten my brain thinking in a deeper way of something that we talk about a lot, mediation, sacramental worldview. Of course, the book is about the sacramental worldview. And so it's been noodling around in my mm -hmm. brain. And also, you know, uh, the other week, uh, the producer family came to one of my masses. And the second reading for that week was St. Paul, and he was talking about the resurrection. And producer Nick was very excited to hear me preach mm -hmm. about the, the resurrection. But in my homily, I totally skipped mm -hmm. that one. I just did the first reading and the Beatitudes. And he was like, well, I mean, it was good, yeah. but, you know, okay. Um, so I think I'm going to try to do something going from creation to the resurrection. And Okay, cool. I want to kind of set the parameters here. Uh, there was a question from my RSA group about why would God do this thing? I think it was talking about the Eucharist. Like, why would God do this? And I told them, like, we, as Christians and as theologians, we don't pretend to know the mind of God. We do this sneaky thing where we say, mm -hmm. isn't it fitting that God did things this way? Mm-hmm. It's very, very, very like medieval you don't want to say like God did it for we this love reason that because that's that's not humble. That's like saying like I know the mind of God. Right. Very silly thing to do, but we can look at what God has done and see that it is fitting, that it makes sense, that it the pieces lock together in a way that's that's beautiful as a whole. Right? Okay, so let's get started. Mm -hmm. I love trying to come up with a simple answer for a very complex problem. Uh, because mm -hmm. in examining that simple answer, it makes for deeper revelations in, in the complexities. So here is my statement to start things mm -hmm. off. The main difference okay. between Catholicism and Protestantism isn't first and foremost the sacraments, isn't first and foremost the church. I think it's first and foremost mm -hmm. an understanding of creation. Okay. Okay. Any any comments okay. so far? I know I'm, I'm teasing this out a lot. I would yes. Um, this is one of those little side topics I'm leaning on a lot lately, partially because Ratzinger says like one of the most fundamental things the church needs nowadays is a is a is a renewed yeah. theology of creation, um, right? Which is he's right actually. Um, yes, because the Catholic vision of creation is that though there is a real distinction between God and creation and a real dissimilarity, there's still a similarity, right? We call this the analogy of being. Um, that is the Catholic vision of creation that, own, that is rooted in the incarnation. And we interpret creation and, and the theology of it, it, its act and how it is today, et cetera, through the lens of Jesus. Good. So... Let's just start with the very act of creation itself, because I think we have this tendency, and it okay. it's, makes sense to have a very anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic view of the universe, because we are anthropomorphic, mm -hmm. we're people. Uh, but we have to take a step back from mm -hmm. that, and just for a second realize how weird creation is. So, God yep. in and of himself is perfect. He is Trinity. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need nothing. Uh, there's no... Correct me wrong. There's like no desire in the sense of a need, right? So God's perfectly free, mm -hmm. perfectly happy. God is not lonely. God doesn't need 
Correct. Yeah. God doesn't need compliments or praise or anything. He needs nothing, okay? God doesn't need you. God doesn't yep. need me. And then mm-hmm. God creates, which mm-hmm. is weird because you have this perfectly simple God, simple in the sense that he is like one. Uh, there's not parts of him. And God does the, Correct. I mean, it sounds like God does the opposite of who he is in a certain sense. The God who is pure spirit makes matter, makes stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. And I think okay. before we go, f- you know, go on to the rest of this, just to meditate on that, I think is a very helpful sort of thing. Okay. And we know mm-hmm. God does this out of a desire to share his love with creation. And so creation becomes kind of like uh, the stuff of God in the sense that he makes it. Yep. Okay. So how do you have something that is kind of the opposite of God still relate to him? But it cannot be the absolute opposite. Right, 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 right. Because if it is then you fall into this kind of matter spirit opposition and all this jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, If God is creator, then that which is created bears the imprint of its maker, Mm -hmm. right? The artisan, the, the, the sculptor, um, his personality, his vision of things comes out in his art itself. The, you, you know, you know, something is by, by Michelangelo, because of certain styles, right? Yeah. Or, and so on and so forth. So um, the creator has to leave an imprint of himself in the thing created, always. Right. It's, so, it's, it's, cause, it's basic cause and effect, right? It's, it's yeah. Yeah, so I'm glad you, you pointed that out because really the opposite of God would be nothing. Yes. And sometimes when we think of nothing, we think of nothing as a thing. Yes. Okay. It is literally nothing. It's it no is, thing, it, no it, thing. It, it is not the opposite of God is there is no opposite of God in, in that sense that it, you can't because God is reality. Um, yes, I'm, yeah. I'm pausing after my words because I know that talking about this stuff, you can, you can get tripped up very easily. Okay, so that means that creation is insanely and radically good mm-hmm. because it comes from goodness itself. Yes. Uh, just creation because it exists is incredibly nearly inconceivably or if not inconceivably good Mm -hmm. okay so it makes all the stars all the stuff all the laws of physics all this stuff he doesn't make aliens he makes some space space fish in my opinion check out our Larry Chap episode and then at the pinnacle of his creation he makes human beings human beings are real good you look at the Bible you look at Father Anthony's translation, God says, everything's good, human beings are real good, right? Mm-hmm. Because we become this bridge uh, between the spiritual and the physical. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, human beings in their humanness are kind of naturally priests, that we mm-hmm. bridge the spiritual and the physical. And then Adam and Eve are supposed to do that in their activity, in their activity of work. So God creates Adam and Eve, gives them the ability to love him because mm-hmm. we need that we can't do that on our own and so by adam and eve taking the things that god has given him uh, them they 
by working the fields, by cultivating the garden, they can give something back to him. And this is the whole Correct. dynamic of love between God, that God yeah. gives us the ability to love him because that's good. Mm-hmm. That's a delightful thing. Loving God is why we exist. Mm-hmm. And it's not in a way that like we are forced to in any other sense. Like all of us want to love and to be mm-hmm. loved. Right. I can't really argue for that. It's just... Yeah, and I think, well, it's interesting, too, because I, I, I won't go too much down this rabbit hole, but some of the things that you've just said, I think, are not so easily presumed anymore, too. Right. right? So, yeah. for example, the relationship between being and nothingness, mm-hmm. um, nothingness is almost seen as the positive attribute and being as exactly. the cruel joke. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't receive it as gift anymore. It is the it is an imposed burden that infringes upon my freedom and of who I am. Um, and so, and it also limits me like creation being created, being creature means I am actually limited, which is, uh, an aberration. It's, 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 it's an aberration to one's dignity. And, 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 so there's all these like factors that I think are creeping up more and more where we we've we've flipped it all right yeah. we've actually flipped it all for again for a variety of reasons and part of it is and it, oh man I gotta be careful but uh, what is interesting is all these categories especially like that category of nothingness these aren't even possible without the notion of Christian theology and revelation yes right the the nothingness is only possible. When there's an absolute something. Yes. The Greeks had no absolute notion of nothingness. Mm-hmm. It was impossible for them to ponder. It's why things were chaos, right? Everything was mixed. We don't realize just how deep Christianity goes into Western civilization. Right. And Absolutely. how and how it's been now been wrested away. And so now, because you see, because for the Christian, nothingness is actually not a... This is why a theology of creation is so important. Yeah. Nothingness is actually not a negativity. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the place where I find my dignity as a human being because it becomes the signpost of a God who loves me and upholds me, even though I'm always at the verge and edge of nothingness. I could at any moment, at any second, at any instance, become nothing, erased from existence and from all memory and from all being. And yet there's a God who continually upholds me, even though I'm also some, even though I'm, I'm nothing. Too. Right. And, and and that's even imprinted in our psyche. The yeah. idea of becoming nothing, the idea that you just said, the human mind revolts against it. Yeah. In the same way that the human mind revolts against death. Um, that even when we think about, even like the atheist who thinks about nothingness as a kind of peace, they're mm-hmm. still looking at nothingness that they would be around to experience it. Yeah. It's, it's impossible for the mind to conceive it not existing in a certain mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's not how we're meant to be. That's not how we were made. Yeah. And also, you know, what you said, like, okay, so if God made matter, if God made creation, then being limited, being particular is actually a great good. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we rebel against this is not because of our um, God created nature, but because of the fall where there's this rejection of our own goodness as limited creatures. There's a grasping at God in the taking the fruit from the tree. Mm-hmm. And we do have some intuition about the goodness of particularity. Um, like, uh, for example, uh, producer Indy, Indiana, is not just the baby, 
she is a particular baby. Mm-hmm. There's something good about her Indiana-ness um, mm-hmm. that is different. And even though she's small and incredibly limited, though even though she can pick up her head a little bit, so she's slightly less limited now. Congratulations, Indiana. Um, there's something about that that is beautiful, that is mm-hmm. joyful. Um, mm-hmm. There's something about having a particular work of art or um, a particular watch or just this one thing that if you actually enter into meditation on the thing, the fact that it is limited makes it beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is what gives art its beauty in a certain sense. Yeah. That like, um, that it's art form. is, it's form. Yeah. yeah. And, and part yeah, of what yeah. its form is, is it, it's limited. It cannot be everything, you know, yeah. it has to be one thing. Yeah. This is the thing for things to be beautiful and for life to have beauty, et cetera, that there, that limitation is actually the, the means by which like, you need for things to be beautiful. They need form. They need shape. Yeah. And without that, then life becomes death really. Um, mm-hmm. uh, form is so, inc- but form means allowing for limitation. <laughs> right. And we, we, man, we hate this notion of limitation now. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Because of the fall, because, because the fall. there is this an attempt to kill God. We're trying to replace God with ourselves, and it doesn't work. Yeah, and uh, and also not only when you have particulars, then you can have union of particulars. Like mm-hmm. you don't just have the individual human; you also have humanity. Mm-hmm. And if you were to imagine just the goodness of humanity, not its fallen nature, there's something beautiful about it as this collection of individuals it's greater than the sum of its parts right when people are in awe of the universe it's because of all the particulars within it there's something about the fact that not just the particular thing is good but this group of particulars is also good Mm -hmm. make sense cool yep yep all right and then of course we have the fall and this is a grasping at god a refusal to enter into the goodness of our limited uh nature all that stuff and everything goes to crap And so the things of this world, instead of revealing their goodness to us, because we're not in harmony with God, with each other or with nature, they become oppressive. So the fact Mm -hmm. that like work is now very often oppressive, that my body breaks down, it gets sick, it dies, doesn't do what I want to do, all these things. And it's when we fall into the idea that that's how the way the way things are meant to be, that's when our brains get confused. Yes. So that's so understanding that you can understand in a deeper way the fittingness of how God chose to save us. Mm-hmm. That God takes particulars like Moses. Um, God does not need Moses. Israel. Israel. God doesn't need Israel. Just um, stick with Moses for a second here. Mm-hmm. God could have very easily teleported all of Israel to wherever he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He could make a whole other planet for them and they could be happy mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. But God finds joy in his creation. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that's very difficult for us. It's very easy to hate people mm-hmm. because very often people are sinful and selfish and want to hurt you. And we know this as parish priests, but everyone mm-hmm. knows this. Everyone knows this. Everyone's experienced this, okay? And you look at the church and be like, why would God make it this way? Why does God... Um, choose men to be priests uh, to dispense these sacraments? Why did he choose the apostles who are all kinds of messed up? Um, Because he wants us to learn again 
the goodness of his creation. Mm -hmm. And this is why love is such a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Because we begin to enter back into reality as it is before the fall through love. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get and not just not just as it was, but now even greater. Now even greater. Yeah. So let's get to that. Um, and what really kind of cements the goodness of creation is that even when creation is fallen, even when it's broken, not completely destroyed, but mm-hmm. fallen, broken, twisted. Even then, God still desires to enter into it in this radical way, mm-hmm. where the infinite God becomes, in a sense, particular. Where, in a certain sense, Christ gives himself limits mm-hmm. and abides by them. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not bad to do that. Right. In fact, it's good. It's so good that God didn't shy away from it. Right. So, this is really at the heart of the Christian message, right? And and the incarnation then becomes God's way of saying, actually, the thing I created was good. Um, even though you're trying to wrest it away from me, I ain't going to let you. Yeah. But, but at the heart of Christianity is this... You, it's interesting because I was actually literally just writing this uh, the other day mm-hmm. in my thesis. Um, it's this weird... It is seemingly weird coming together of the personal and the universal at once. Mm -hmm. This particular person claims universal dominion. Mm -hmm. This particular person reveals the totality of what it means to be man and what creation is. This particular person is God's self-communication to man on earth. It's something particular. We call this like the scandal of particularity. In a particular time, in a particular place, in a particular way, God chooses to act in this way because it's his way of saying, actually, the particular is a good thing. Um, It is the means by which the universal is really truly known. So then, and it's then good Christology, good incarnational theology will say that in the incarnation, God and man come together in such a way that the divinity never overwhelms or destroys the humanity and the humanity never limits or interferes with the divinity. But they are able to be in a perfect communion of natures with each other without being subsumed one into the other. This is, and that's the life of communion in Christ. This is what he reveals. And so the great scandal of Christianity, and it's why there's so many attempts, for example, to discredit even the person of Jesus historically, et cetera, because his claim is so bold, Mm -hmm. right? That, and yet it's also so affirming of, like it also speaks in a very natural way to who we actually are as human beings and says, this is actually a good thing. That that difference is not the means to division, but is actually the principle of communion, for example, right? Is, Is a big Christian thing that I think is often forgotten. Or, and I just keep on saying it over and over again. We actually don't believe in the incarnation. Yeah. <laughs> we actually don't believe in the incarnation and we just don't realize it. Um, and I, and I say this as someone who recognizes how I rebel against that every day too. Oh yeah. Right? yeah, yeah I'm not, see, so I'm not, it's not a judgment. It's a, it's a, it's a state. It's an attesting to my own character, even sometimes how I don't believe sufficiently in the incarnation because modernity only universalizes. It wants to destroy the particular. It has mm-hmm. to destroy the particular. And so even a lot of these modern movements of thought talk 
you know, preach tolerance, but it's actually not tolerance. It's actually subsuming everything into one worldview that can't allow for difference to coexist within it. While the church is a place where that difference can coexist, true proper difference can coexist and actually be the means to communion of the church. And so that's where the, the church can be such a radical witness today in that particularity of the self. I live in a real communion with my brothers and sisters in Christ and show that difference is actually not divisive, but it's actually the means to communion. Um, it's a really powerful thing. And so this is something that we just do not allow to seep into our hearts sufficiently. And it really, cause yeah, like, so this is at the heart of our sacramental worldview. Yeah, <laughs> The exactly. particular makes present and reveals something universal without destroying its particularity. Yes. It theologically. Okay. So yeah, a few things about Sorry. that. Cause that was, no, no, that was great. That was great. Um, so given all of that, yeah, all of a sudden we see the sacraments and see how fitting they are. Given all of that, you look at the sacraments and go, of course, this is how God did it. It's at once a surprise, but then looking at it once it's been revealed makes perfect sense mm -hmm. that God wants to show us that in a way, um, we keep using the word particular, um, but in a, uh, that these sacraments reveal and make efficacious the invisible. That's um, right. So, of course, God. And that the invisible is real. It's not and the invisible some magic is real, thing. exactly. So, of course, God uses priests. Of course, God uses regular Christians to spread the gospel and to reveal himself to the nations uh, because God wants us to see the goodness of him and the goodness of his creation to bring us back to him. And now it's, you know, elevated in Christ. And what you're saying about, I mean, everyone says, what's what's the problem with the church? What's the problem with the church? Well, the church got all kinds of problems. She always uh, will. Yeah, and she always will. But the temptation that the church would be better if this or that person was gone is a rejection of what God wants for the church. Uh, that is particularly- God desires that all men be saved. Exactly. And- the beauty of Christianity, and this is, I'm going to slowly get into cross and resurrection here, um, is that love can even conquer the differences in fallen humanity. That when the church is at its best, so there's two things. So, um, for example, the other night I was with uh, three of my good friends, Carl and Elizabeth and Aaron, and we were playing Dungeons and Dragons. And the Dungeons and Dragons thing isn't as important. Uh, but what struck me and what was so revitalizing to me was that like we are all insanely different people mm -hmm. brought together in mutual love. And it is because of Christianity. Um, it is because of our faith in Christ that, you know, that we are such good friends. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, in this group of friends, we've had very difficult times and difficult arguments and stuff. But we've always stuck with each other and gone through those moments of tension out of a love which is more than human love. Because if it was just based on human affection, this group would have fallen apart, you know, three dozen different times. Um, so that mm -hmm. not only does Christ reveals his power in that he doesn't magically wipe away or magic eraser our faults, but through his grace and through love, he mm -hmm. conquers them. Mm -hmm. right. So, uh, I want to say, so... Are you about to say something? No, no, go ahead. No, okay, no. okay. And so this is, you know, the same thing with the cross and resurrection. Something that's utterly surprising, but when you look back on it, it makes perfect sense. This is how kind of revelation works. That 
everything you said about Christ and the particular and the universal together one person and perfect love comes into the world. And also the fact that Christ lives a very ordinary and particular life for 30 years uh, mm-hmm. is something that sometimes we forget about. Um, they embraced all of that goodness of just being a, probably just a regular dude. That's why the gospel writers didn't write much about it because there was nothing going on. Um, okay. So Christ takes on all of that evil, everything that is destructive to creation, the goodness of God. And instead of just having it bounce off him, it actually kills him. Mm-hmm. And this is where the power of God is revealed. That even the thing that is most antithetical to our being, death, the thing that we fear the most, the thing that we revolt against in our psyches, even that does not destroy the goodness mm-hmm. of creation. Right. Because God raises it up again. Right. Which is a phenomenal way of showing both the goodness of creation and the power and mercy of God. Mm-hmm. That even if you throw the worst thing at this, God is not afraid of it, but embraces it completely and brings a greater good out of it. Mm-hmm. So then in the resurrection of Christ, even in his glorified body, he has these wounds. Because those wounds are no longer signs of shame or of defeat, but of the love and the conquering power of God. Right. Which is really cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, So now that Christ has done this, and because of our baptism, he lives this in us and we live it in him. Mm -hmm. And that's why we go through all the crap of life. That's why you and I, Father Harrison, will suffer and die one day. Mm-hmm. You will one day eat too much poutine and fall over. I will one day uh, slip on a meatball and crack my neck and we'll both be dead. Mm-hmm. But even those tragic, tragic deaths <laughs> yeah. don't yeah. destroy us because God exactly. doesn't allow it. So, yeah, this is, and I kind of hope that would be something that would be almost intuited in the book is, and it's something I've actually been preaching on a lot lately mm-hmm. is, to be a Christian is to run towards reality, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. I know yes. it's a little abstract. It's a little communion liberation-esque almost, where it's like, hey, this is a nice little abstract phrase. But um, it's the facts, right? This is It's interesting. The things that are actually most abstract, I'm discovering more and more, are actually the deepest truths and the, the most concrete things. It's not that it's abstract. It's that we aren't actually in touch enough with reality. That's why it sounds abstract. So what does that mean? That means running towards your experiences whichever is coming away now this doesn't mean pay passive like so for example there's issues around um abuse mistreatment etc it's not saying go run into that and just embrace it okay i gotta always always put that little disclaimer there rather when i say this though it's like but there are some things that through no fault of your own you are not gonna be able to run away from Mm -hmm. if um if i yeah if i slipped and fell today and broke my leg yeah I can't run away from that. It happened. <laughs> Literally. And, and it is not, so like it, it starts to answer the question, why is God letting this happen to me? I'm like, well, because he's present in his death and resurrection here. This is the whole point of the sacramental worldview is that the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is lived out in us at each moment, at every moment of the day by virtue of our baptism. And therefore, everything that happens to me in life is to be an offering up and a lifting up of that experience and encounter in creation to the Father in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why I'm baptized. Mm-hmm. It is, it is, my whole life is to become liturgy, right? Yeah. Not that, not, not, not this like hokey, oh, the, the mass never ends, it's to be lived out. Not that sense, 
rather the mass is the culmination of a week of of a kind of offering up your body as paul says in romans 12 1 off your bodies as a living sacrifice which is wholly acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship which is your rational spiritual worship this is the whole aspect of christian living and so but the problem is like, and, or, or it's like in people who say, well, you know, I can't get over the sin. Well, because you refuse to go to your heart. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. not actually, because you're actually afraid of God loving you there. Because mm-hmm. you actually don't want to let go of your sin. Mm-hmm. You actually want to keep it. Yeah. And you refuse to let Jesus's light shine on your heart to reveal the truth because you think that the truth will judge you to a point unto condemnation. And that's the lie of the devil, right? Rather, no truth judges unto life and freedom, but it needs to shine the darkness out so that the light can actually take hold of your heart and to let you to live free this is the whole truth of christianity and listen we're all going to struggle through this and that's why that's why the sacrament confession is so important in this because it really becomes that place where god recognizes that there are going to be those times where we're still going to run away Mm. from reality but gotta run towards it embrace the situations you're in embrace the the vocations you're in, and that these particular things, when you're cleaning up the table after dinner from the kids, uh, or just, or and, and when it's, that's a bit of a hard, hardship, or in the more positive sense of that little hug from one of your daughters, just saying, I love you, daddy, mm-hmm. or I love you, mommy, are all, in some mysterious way, a manifestation through the particular events of life of God's drawing you and those around you into his life. Mm-hmm. That's just that's that, this is what I like this is what this is the what I hope the whole book will draw out for people because it's just so there for me. right and I, I, I yeah I, I have a comment about uh your book yeah. but also before we get to that um and this is in no way to whitewash suffering or sin right absolutely right? yeah so like and the gospel makes this brutally clear um that you know when we're saying these things we're not saying well because Jesus makes it okay it's okay uh like the cross is a tragedy uh-huh. um like it, it, the mother yeah. of god suffered watching her son suffer jesus really suffered and i say this yeah. all the time the words that god chose christ chose on the cross were oh god oh god why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. and i've heard it explained away saying well that psalm ends in hope and it right. does and there's something important to that but Christ quotes the words, oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. He experiences God forsakenness. Mm-hmm. And this is getting into a little Balthazar language and stuff that we love. But like God himself experienced God forsakenness. G.K. Chesterton puts it that we have a God who on the cross sounded like he was an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, so suffering is real and pain. But even in, in the full reality of suffering... Even in all of that, God brings a good out of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that suffering is easy because of that. Right. Right? So just make that thing. And so your book is about the sacramental worldview. And this is kind of what you mm-hmm. said, but it's kind of summing up. Because uh, it's called the sacramental worldview. Um, or it says it's about the sacramental worldview. But you're right. This is about just seeing the world. Mm-hmm. This isn't, you know, we call it Catholic vision, but it's really just the truth. Mm-hmm. This is how reality is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the sacramental worldview is, is the vision of reality as it is. And well, and it, now it actually ties in well with what we talked about last week about what faith is. Mm-hmm. Right. What is faith? Sharing in the vision of Jesus. 
Right. Right. I'm trying to remember something. Oh, who was it? But when you're talking about that suffering stuff, because like, and this is the thing, this is easy stuff to say when you're not suffering. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I know people, I have people in my life who I know are suffering deeply and it's hard to, there is the, the great mystery of suffering in some ways is that the word of comfort or hope will not end the suffering in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, so the job of the Christian is to be present to them in their suffering. And that's all you can really do. Usually mm-hmm. there's not much more you can say, don't give the, Oh, well you're just suffering with Jesus. They don't, they know it. They don't need to hear it again. Right. But oh, I try to remember what it was. I think it was like, I think it was something I was talking to sister Teresa about or something like that around like this notion of suffering and seen as a purely negative thing. And again, that's a very modern thing for the Christian. It is not, it is a negative experience, like right. in the sense of like emotions and, and hurt and everything. Those are not fun things to go through. But the fact of the matter is Christ is there. Yeah. Right. This gets, I don't know if you saw that Stephen Colbert clip going around. No, uh, I, I heard about it. I didn't watch it. Yeah. It's actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, which this person he's interviewing actually interviews him and asks him about his relationship between faith and comedy. And he yeah. says, well, the whole point of comedy is to say that even in the face of death, death is not actually the last word. Mm-hmm this is the whole point of the Christian. It says, yep, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to live the same life. Everyone else lives. You're going to suffer the same sufferings. Everyone else suffers. And sometimes even more aggressively. So, but you do it in hope because you've encountered the one who is present in death so that death doesn't consume you or destroy you. Yeah. And when you start to experience that and know that as just the daily fact, this does not mean you have to be intentional, like in the sense of like having to think about this at every single moment of the day, let it kind of seep into your bones mm-hmm. so that it just starts to just be fact. But that can only, and that is only fostered in the life of prayer. Right. And what we believe in the resurrection is not that you get a new body or a different body. You get your body resurrected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is why we, we have grave sites and burials. Um, this is why we don't scatter ashes uh, to the four winds or to the ocean or whatever. Uh, because the burial and reverence for the body is a reminder that in the resurrection, you will have your body. Uh, yeah. And how exactly does that look? The medievals had all kinds of fun and the ancients had all kinds of fun uh, imagining this where like you know your body parts all float back together or whatever and, I, and that's fun and whatever um, but this is a, a mystery but the truth that we do know revealed uh, by God is that your resurrected body will be your body mm-hmm. you will be whole and elevated to a new level of existence but it'll be yours mm-hmm. um, that God doesn't allow what he has created to be destroyed mm-hmm. he raises it up again mm-hmm Amen. Yeah. So that's why Catholicism is right. Word. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me teaching RCIA at my parish. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a canonical emergency? Please call 412-912-7995. 412-912-7995. Because next week, Dr. Edward G. Condon 
will be with us to answer all of our canonical needs. If you actually need a canon lawyer, then, you know, uh, you can't hold him liable for any advice he gives you. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Peace. God bless.